Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to the PeteCallanerShow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. I want to welcome to the studio, but back to the program, Pat Harrigan. He is uh, running for Congress for some reason, yet again. <laughs> Not sure why. Welcome back. Uh, how are you? Pete, I'm great. Thanks Good. for having me today. Absolutely. And it's great to be back with you and particularly in the studio with you today. Yeah, that's right. Last time, was it was it COVID times when we spoke last? It, it was, was over the phone. It was post-COVID times, but okay. yeah, I think we spoke twice and it was both over the phone. Okay. So if the name rings a bell, uh, it's because you did run for Congress uh, before you ran against Jeff Jackson, the Democrat. And uh, this was in, was it District 14? Or it was thir- the 14th District. 14th at yep. the time. We don't know what it's going to be this time. Right. So, all right, let me ask you first off, before I get into sort of your background, why go ahead and announce now for a district that you don't even know where the lines are going to be drawn? Well, you know, there's kind of a programmatic answer to that, and that is we are trying to build the strongest campaign that we possibly can. And that involves, you know, building relationships and putting together the necessary resources uh, to come out as absolutely strong as we possibly can when those maps get drawn. And announcing for the 14th district again allows us to do that. So have you got money? I think I saw Axios Charlotte reported that uh, on your your announcement, there was a press release that went out that uh, you had you started self funding, I guess, to some degree. I did. Okay. Yep. And so is that is that the bulk um, of the money that you've been able to raise so far, or do you have donors that have already started helping out? Oh no, we have donors that have already started helping out, and so we're actually over one hundred fifty thousand since we announced, you know, less than two days ago. Uh, I'm putting in five hundred thousand, and uh, we're just going to keep rolling that train. I mean, okay. we're, when when it comes time. For these maps to come out, uh, we're positioning ourselves to be the absolutely you know strongest candidacy uh, that's out there. Have you heard anybody else that's? I haven't. Okay. No. All right. All right. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about your background. Um, and you, so you live in Gastonia now. We were yep. just talking beforehand about the ridiculous uh, interest rates and uh, high home prices and all of that. But you, uh, you uh, were last time you ran, you were up in Hickory, but you had gotten an. Apartment, I want to say. Did you get an apartment here? We lived in Charlotte. Yeah. Oh, you lived in Charlotte. We did. That's right. Yeah, yeah. 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 We've always had a lake house up in Hickory and a few other properties across the state. But uh, yeah, no, we we actually formally lived in Charlotte and uh, you know really enjoyed our time down there. Yeah. And so you uh, are now in Gastonia, firmly ensconced. Um, and so that's I think where the fourteenth is going to be. Now, just as a an aside. Uh, you don't have to actually live in the congressional district to run for it. That's one of the things people always think. You can run for a district, but then I think you have to move into it if you win the seat, I believe. Um, so I believe Gastonia is probably going to be in that, what may be, <laughs> the 14th district. Nobody knows, right? No one knows. And, and at the end of the day, it's just a, a fantastic place to raise our family. We've got uh, the largest base of support, certainly uh, you know, politically, in Gaston County. And uh, it's just filled with wonderful people that uh, I hope to have the opportunity to represent one day. So you went to West Point, graduated West Point, right? Uh, yes. Went, uh, you, you went with the, uh, 
with the poor man's degree in nuclear engineering. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, Pete, the funny story there is I had no idea what I actually wanted to do when I grew up. So why not just go nuclear? Well, I figured yeah. if I did nuclear engineering, that once I figured it out, nobody would tell me that I'm too stupid to do what I wanted to do. And that has so far kind of played out. There you go. Um, you then went on and completed ranger school. Uh, you deployed to Afghanistan. So when was that? The f- was this during the war at First that point? deployment was uh, 2011 and uh, through 2012. And yes. then you came back? So during the surge. Yeah. Okay. During during President Obama's surge. And then I came back. Wait, and- I thought Obama didn't do any surge. Never mind. Uh, <laughs> so you went so in Afghanistan for the surge, but then you come back stateside, and that's what brought you to North Carolina originally? Yes. So actually, I, I enjoyed what I did over there uh, the, the first year so much that I wanted to do more of it, and I wanted to join the Special Forces. And so the home of Special Operations is at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Uh, so we moved down here in 2013 after I passed uh, Special Forces Assessment and Selection uh, to begin what's called the Special Forces Qualification Course, the two-year-long program to become a special operator. Uh, so we moved down here in, I think, May of 2013. So we are um, now over 10 years in North Carolina now. So we liked it so much, we decided to stay. It's a great place to raise a family, incredible place to have a business, and, uh, you know, awesome, awesome geography to recreate and uh so we've we've just made a home here. Yeah, well, it's uh, you and like uh, a couple million other people, myself included, originally from New York. Where are you originally from? San Diego. Okay. So you know, I I, I used to joke with people on the last campaign that uh, you know the the West Coast cities are about ten to fifteen years ahead of the East Coast cities in terms of kind of where they're going, where they're moving. And uh, I would always tell people, "Hey, look, I'm from the future, and the future is not good. You're taking this city in the wrong direction." Yeah. Well, and San Diego, I always thought, was sort of uh, like a holdout against the dumbassery that was sort of just pervasive out in California. You know, it was for a long period of time, and then I'd say about 15 years ago, it just turned and it hasn't come back. Yeah. Um, One day. One day. It'll come back. Okay. It'll come back. Well, I don't know. My concern is that we're going to see more cities follow the course that other cities out there are following, like you said, and that's, that's troubling. Well, and that's certainly the demographic challenge that we have in North Carolina, right? Like everybody's kind of looking at this, uh, you know, supermajority that we have at, at the state level. Yeah. Uh, but not a lot of people are paying attention to kind of the increase of influence uh, and, and, and the partisanship flipping in our cities. And our cities are becoming, uh, you know, much more influential across the state. And we got to be very concerned about that. Yeah. Uh, concentrations of Democrat voters uh, congregating in uh, city, so you get these blue dots in the sea of red. Uh, but if you keep losing population in the rural areas, although I did see some, uh, there was some uh, some trends out e- uh, east where there are Republicans who are leaving those blue states and and coming down, and they're moving out into sort of coastal areas. Yep, too. absolutely. Yeah. So it's not it's not all bad news. It's just you know things that we absolutely need to be. Um, you know, concerned about and tracking for for you know what the political landscape is going to look like after the twenty thirty census. Yeah. Uh, all right. So you uh, so you go back to Afghanistan and then you come back home after how many tours over there for the second time? So I did I did two tours in total. Uh, okay. So one there, come back, then yeah. Go back. One 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 is a infantryman and one is a uh, uh, as a green beret. Gotcha. So then you come back and. Uh, it says here that you and your wife started this company, but you were over in theater. So I'm thinking it's your wife that really did all the work on this. 
<laughs> you know, Pete, I probably shouldn't admit to the uh, the satellite phone that I had, uh, you know, running running the business while I was over there too. But my wife absolutely pulled all the uh, the heavy weight, no doubt about it. Uh, and so, what uh, what's the business that you're in? So we are in the defense space, and uh, you know, we've got a couple different companies that that manufacture weapons, weapons components. Uh, we've got an optics manufacturing company. We also have a munitions manufacturing company, and so. Uh, we we kind of have our hands all across the the entire ecosystem uh, of everything that is firearms and Second Amendment. So fire, okay, firearms. When you say optics, yep, is that like the scopes and rifle stuff scopes, on top? red Got dots? Yep, absolutely. Gotcha. And then what was the other one? Uh, a munitions company. Munitions. Okay. Yeah, yep. Um, all right, and so that's going well, I guess. Yeah. All right, good for you. Um, so let's talk then a little bit about uh, some of these uh, some of the issues. Obviously, with your background, people are going to ask you, and I'm going to ask you about. Um, the military, and just yesterday we had the House Foreign Affairs Committee. They did a roundtable with family members of the 13 U.S. service members who were killed August 26th in 2021 at the Abbey Gate when we started withdrawing out of Afghanistan. Your experience in Afghanistan, what did you think when you were watching that unfold on TV and, and listening to it on radio? You know, I... I I was on the brink of tears, and uh, I wrote something called America and its Leadership Vacation that actually got picked up back in the day. Uh, it was like a little four or five page write-up of just kind of what came out of my heart at that period of time uh, about uh, failed leaders leading us down the road to failed outcomes. And, and I can tell you, like I can draw a straight line from where I'm sitting here in front of you today back to that withdrawal from Afghanistan. And that is one of the biggest reasons that I'm running for Congress. Uh, I just, my heart hurts for this country. It really does. And uh, my heart hurts for those families and those folks who testified yesterday at that House Select Committee. Uh, you know, just there's, there's so many things in this country that just aren't the way that they should be today. All right, now you've heard me talk about them. Old Grouch's Military Surplus. They're expanding with more ways to get your hands on authentic U.S. military surplus items. Go to oldgrouch.com. Check out the links for the online auctions for rare finds and the vintage shop. Unique, really cool items from modern tactical gear to historical collectibles. Tim at Old Grouch's is always finding new stuff. When I started the podcast at the beginning of the pandemic, my first advertiser was Old Grouch's. If you enjoy the show and derive any value from it, I'm hoping that you will consider supporting one of the businesses that make it possible. Lots of gift ideas for that person who loves the military style for fashion or decor. There really is something for everyone at Old Grouch's Military Surplus in beautiful downtown Clyde and online at oldgrouch.com. In studio with me is Pat Harrigan. He is running for Congress in North Carolina's, we think, 14th District. And uh, let me play, uh, Pat, let me play real quick this soundbite. Uh, this is from Mark Schmitz who is a gold star uh, father. He uh, lost his son, Jared Schmitz, who was a Marine Corps Lance Corporal at the Abbey Gate uh, in Kabul, Afghanistan, at the when they were uh, withdrawing, and there was this crush of people at the gate trying to get in. And uh, what we now know is that the military knew that there was a bomber somewhere in the vicinity. Two years has gone by, and where are we? To be frank, we're knee-deep in bullshit is where we are. Everyone who held a key position in the military still has that position or has been promoted. 
John Kirby still sits on his perch, which apparently faces the opposite direction from where all the action was. Blinken continues to delay key evidence by ignoring delay or delaying subpoenas. Not a single general slapped down their stars, which should have happened two years ago when Biden ignored his reliable intelligence. Not a single person has been held accountable. Our so-called leader can't seem to even utter their names in public, not even once. Mr. Biden has run his entire political campaign for 50 years as the family man. Well, I've got news for you, sir. The curtain has been lifting, and that campaign slogan will never work again. We have seen what's going on in your family, and even worse, we've seen how you've been treating us as Gold Star families. And there couldn't be anything more disgusting and cowardly than the way you have treated us. You are a disgrace to this nation. You have no business having ultimate command over our military, and I regret not saying that to your face when I had the opportunity in Dover. I felt it more, light, more important to bite my tongue, but I also had more important things on my mind at that time, like receiving my son's lifeless body stateside. While I stood there on the tarmac, watching you check your watch over and over again, all I wanted to do was shout out, it's too f- 30. But out of respect to the other grieving families, I bit my tongue once again. Well, as you could probably tell by now, I'm done biting my tongue. You, sir, stole their lives, their futures, their dreams, and have ripped apart 13 families. You cannot even man up and admit that. You, sir, gave us all the title Gold Star Family. You, sir, discredit honor and integrity. So, again, this was from the House Foreign Affairs Committee. There was a roundtable yesterday with family members of the 13 service members who were killed uh, at the Abbey Gate bombing near Kabul. And uh, despite on-the-ground awareness that ISIS-K had a presence at the gate, they were not authorized to do any kind of on-the-ground action to neutralize the group. So this is, uh, Pat, you say this is the event that prompted you to consider running for Congress. So what would victory have looked like in Afghanistan? Well, you know, ultimately, um, a lot of people have said that there was no military solution in Afghanistan, and I've always maintained that there absolutely was one. The Taliban had one, and they effectuated it within less than a week. Um, the best course of action from my experience on the ground, both as my time as an infantryman and as a special operator doing completely different mission sets, uh, is that you know we would have been best served, America's interests would have been best served um, you know, by, by supporting a different form of government. Uh, then something did support yes something you know this this whole nation building concept that we have is fundamentally flawed it really is if you if the foundation isn't there for it to happen we cannot make it happen Uh, and 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 if we try it will cost us an unbelievable amount of money and more importantly than that it will cost us our treasure in in blood the the children of this country and we should have supported, uh, you know, I said this last, um, 
last cycle, and I got quite a bit of flack for it. Uh, but you know, we should have supported a network of warlords over there who were, um, you know, pro-American strategic objectives, and those warlords would have been able to uh, keep a thumb on, uh, you know, ISIS, the Taliban, uh, and and most importantly, would have achieved our most important strategic objective over there, which is to not allow Afghanistan to become a base for the exportation of terrorism, right? That's what our strategic interest in Afghanistan was, and um, we utterly failed. Uh, Let me, uh, I got a message here from Tim. He says, ask Pat, how much money is enough for the Pentagon? So let's start there. How much money do you think is is enough for the Pentagon? I don't even. I think the budget's somewhere around what eight hundred billion dollars or something. What what is enough? Well, I think uh, like every other government agency, uh, it's never enough. It seems like these days. And you know, we 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 talked about uh, Afghan warlords at the end of of the last segment, mm-hmm. and you know, there's there's a fundamental understanding of economics of war that people need to understand. The mainstream media doesn't talk about it, right? But but we have got to be the low-cost solution provider to our adversaries' most expensive problems if we are going to win our conflict. All right, say that again. We have okay. to be. We have to be the low-cost solution provider to our adversaries' expensive problems. Look back to the Afghan conflict when we were supporting the Mujahideen mm-hmm. and Russia had invaded the country, right? We were, shooting, we were aiding the Mujahideen, shooting down $15 million Soviet fighter aircraft with $8,000 Stinger missile systems, right? That math works for them all day long for us, right? Well, but for did us it? Because too. after they were done with that war, then they, then they turned their sights on us. It's, you, you got to take it one step at a time, right? But if you, if you just focus on the economics itself and you, you, you understand that the enemy is going to throw at us their most expensive solutions, right? We need to defeat those solutions with the least expensive, or excuse me, their, their most expensive problems, right? There are problems. They're their capabilities, but it's, it's, it's our problem because they're throwing that capability at us. We have got to find ways to defeat those problems with very inexpensive solutions. I understand the argument, like, we, we're offering you this very low-cost solution to your expensive problem, I, and that, that makes sense. However, what if, what if they're low-tech, like the Mujahideen, or right. like, like the people you were fighting in Afghanistan? They were, sure. they were uh, doing quite well with very they were inexpensive... Defe- they were defeating our yeah. very expensive problems, right, with, you know, $10 hardware store solutions mm-hmm. uh, over there. You know, pressure plate IEDs were a great example of that where yeah. the trigger was, you know, the, the a saw band, right? Um, what, I'm, what I'm alluding to, though, is that the concept of nation building, this full spectrum operations that we have, is an incredibly expensive and time-intensive um, endeavor. And it's not the right way for us to go. I think a lot of people have really realized, like, mm-hmm. hey, you know, there's a lot of, uh, of, of good principles behind what we did over the last 20 years in the Middle East. Certainly, uh, there was a warranted response after 9-11, but the way that we actually ended up accomplishing what we set out to achieve and, and ultimately not accomplishing it was, it was entirely flawed. And so, you know, from, from that perspective, we just need to baseline around a foreign policy that says, we win, they lose. 
So if That's you're it. supporting the warlords, how do you keep them in line, and what do you do if they get out of line? Well, you keep them in line by incentivizing them to be in line, right? If you look at the total cost spectrum across you know, the 20-plus years that we were in Afghanistan, um, you know, I think it's well into the trillions mm-hmm. of dollars, right? Um, how difficult do you think it would have been to have a network of you know, a dozen or so warlords uh, it probably would have been a much lower cost solution. Didn't we try us. that in Iran with the Shah? You know, I think that uh, every situation is a little bit different. It really is. And that's where it takes principled leadership and strong leadership to decide what we need to do in every single situation because they are all different. You know, when you're, when you're dealing with different cultures, you're dealing with different governmental structures, you're dealing with, uh, you know, societies that are fundamentally very different from one another, and they all kind of take a, uh, I, I would say, an element of a unique solution. And we, it, that, that solution just needs to be a very thoughtful solution, if that makes sense. Sir, this is politics. I'm not sure what thoughtful has to do with it. So let me ask you, uh, so also then uh, Ukraine, uh, keep on funding it, keep on, keep on helping them to, to repel Russian aggression, or not our fight? You know, not the way that it is right now. Uh, I, I'll tell you that I have not seen a comprehensive strategic plan of number one, what our objectives are, and number two, uh, how we are going to continue uh, working towards those objectives uh, incrementally in defined ways where we can measure productivity against you know the accomplishment of those goals. Um, and instead, it just seems like we're kind of throwing money into a coal fire over there. Uh, I don't think that's in the best interest of the American people. I absolutely think it's in the best interest of the American people to support democracies around the world. I think we have to do that. I mean, like I, I step back and I look at, um, you know, no matter how, how anybody listening to this feels about the Ukrainian conflict, right? I look at a breakaway Soviet state democratizing, however flawed that democracy is, however corrupt that government is. That is a pinnacle achievement of Western civilization. It really is. And if we just, you know, stand there and don't do anything and just let our friends and just take care of ourselves, right? Think about your personal relationships. If you were just all about you, Pete, how many people really like Pete? Not a whole lot. Mm, probably right? not. I mean, so, well, maybe. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. I think you're, but uh, let's not lose sight of the important fact that this helps Joe Biden uh, because I think he he probably, yeah. I mean, this is what this is what nothing. They, they bought. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing helps. What they bought. Nothing <laughs> helps Joe Biden at this point. And and the reason is Pete is because Ukraine never should have happened. Mm-hmm. Right. The only reason that Ukraine happened is because of the disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan. Well, and that's when his poll numbers took a header, and they've not returned. Uh, they've not rebounded since then. Um, do you want to do one more segment? We got you here. Sure. Might as yeah. well. All right. And then go I will. Pro- I promise I will let you go. I am not holding you against your will. All right. Pat Harrigan is running for Congress, North Carolina's 14th congressional district, by the way. Uh, your campaign manager. Do you have a campaign manager at this point? Sure do. Okay. Yep. Uh, they would kill you because you have not given your website yet. That is true. Harriganforcongress.com. So or or patharrigan.com. Either one. All righty. Yep. All right, there you go. Make sure you mention at least one H-A-R-R-I-G-A-N. That's spells right. Harrigan, like That's the old right. song. That's right, exactly. I actually <laughs> had the soundbite 
ready to go last time. I do not this time. All right, more on that in a minute. First, let me tell you, the Heritage Life Skills event was fantastic. Every year, Bill and Jan Sturette organize the event to help people get educated on how to be prepared for anything. The Sturettes own Carolina Readiness Supply, 2,000 square feet of supplies and educational materials you'll need for any kind of emergency. Food, water purifiers, lighting, tools, first aid kits, instructional materials, camping and hiking supplies, because being prepared is just smart. The Heritage Life Skills event brings educators and vendors from all over to help people do just that. I was honored to be able to be a small part of it. And whether you're an experienced prepper, have no clue what you're doing, or maybe you're somewhere in between, Carolina Readiness Supply can help you in Waynesville and always at CarolinaReadiness.com. Veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? Pat Harrigan is in studio with me. He is... uh running for Congress in North Carolina's 14th district, which we think is going to be someplace right around, I don't know, west of Charlotte somewhere, not really sure, but we'll see what happens when they draw the lines. Um, so let's focus a little bit on the on domestic stuff. Uh, we've spent a good bit of time talking about foreign policy stuff, but um, the economy, uh, you recently just bought a house, um, so you know what the interest rates look like, you know what the home prices look like, you know what inflation is about now. Um and you, we talked earlier. You are a millennial, so this is kind of right your first. Because uh, uh, like I was a real young kid with like the gas lines and you know the Carter administration. But I was I was really young. I was probably less than five years old. So I don't really remember all of that. I just remember the stories in the eighties about it. So uh, how do you, if you're a member of Congress, one of the you know four hundred thirty five, how do you make an impact? Well, I think the answer is is that you support policies that uh, you know, are representative of government setting the conditions for businesses to be successful, right? That's government's role, and that's where government should stop, right? We have got to unleash and invest in the American free market, uh, American ingenuity, and, and we've got to get Washington, D.C. out of our businesses. And I think the, the more um, you know, that, that that we manipulate our economy from a governmental perspective, uh, the more trouble we're going to have. You know, when when President Biden says, you know, hey, we're we're seeing a soft landing. You know, whenever the government tells you we're going to have a soft landing, brace for impact, mm-hmm. right? And uh, I'll tell you, just having having bought this house, you know, at a near you know seven percent interest rate, um, boy, I sure miss those interest rates that we had when Donald Trump was president. So. Um also, uh, we got what crime education? Not a lot of stuff a Congress member can do, or maybe I'm wrong. I just I see those as state issues. Um, but people always ask about it. What are you going to do in order to help combat crime? Yeah, look, I, I'm going to work with state leaders um, to ensure that the federal government is getting out of uh, the indoctrination business when it comes to education, and I will work uh, with local leaders to support policies and, and you know, provide any type of assistance that they need from an infrastructure perspective, uh, an investment perspective. Certainly, Congress has power of the purse, right? So uh, anything that I can do to strengthen local law enforcement, I will do. That's near and dear to my heart. Like, we have got to start putting criminals behind bars. We have to start enforcing the law. I'm really excited uh, about some of the Republican slate uh, coming across the board this this next year. Uh, you know, particularly up at the Attorney General position, I think that we are absolutely going to put this state on course to enforce 
the law in our cities and our societies will become much safer for it. So what does Congress do, though, in in that regard? I mean, is there anything specifically that Congress does in order to get prosecutors to do their jobs? You know, ultimately, I, I think that there's an element of kind of cultural integrity that is uh, that that kind of speaks to this, right? You have this woke mob and their enablers that have you know, turned our you know, once very safe city streets into borderline war zones, depending on kind of what, what, what city you're in. And all of this has to stop. And, and a lot of this is uh, policy driven, but it's, it's, it's more so it's culturally driven by our leaders at the federal level, right? To the extent that, uh, you know, Congress can't have a direct impact on this, our leaders can absolutely have a direct impact on how people think about these issues and what they, how they perceive what the solutions ought to be. And look, I'm a tough on crime type of guy. Uh, I'm highly disciplined and I believe in American exceptionalism. I expect other people to hold similar beliefs. I think that's, uh, you know, how, how we define what an, what an American really is. And uh, we've got to get back to that. And so to the extent that I can, as a leader, impact that, I will absolutely do it. And, uh, you know, a lot of that might be standing shoulder to shoulder uh, with our local leaders who are responsible for making that happen. Pat Harrigan running for Congress in the 14th District. Check out his website, patharrigan.com. See, when you're saying those things, you say, hey, if you want to know more, you go to Pat Harrigan. Just work, <laughs> you work it right in. Right. That's right. Nice to uh, finally meet you in person. Good luck on the campaign trail. Pete, great meeting you. Thanks for having me on today. Appreciate it. All right, uh, news is next.